At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. There's a change happening in the way we live, the way we work, the way we spend our money and make our decisions. We are evolving to be more conscious in our actions in a way that serves the world and makes it a better place. Welcome to The Ethical Evolution. The Ethical Evolution podcast is brought to you by Ethical Change Agency. I'm Bindi, I'm the founder, and my mission is to help ethical entrepreneurs and holistic healers to find their voice through spiritual coaching and podcasting. I'm honoured to bring you the stories of those who create change through healing, kindness, innovation, purpose and spirit. Understanding that to create collective change, we need to be the change. It all begins with us. Parrish Collins is a civil rights attorney based in Albuquerque, New Mexico. After taking what he envisioned being a few prison medical neglect cases, he realised he'd opened Pandora's box to a shocking volume of medical atrocities in New Mexico jails and prisons. Paris discovered a handful of massive, sometimes billion-dollar corporations revolving in and out of New Mexico prisons and jails with no oversight by the state or the counties that contracted them. The result has been deaths that could have been avoided, inmates and guards receiving horrific treatment, a disaster waiting to happen. Stories like this need to come out of the dark and into the light so that lives and systems are changed for good. So join me in sharing Parrish's work to be part of that change. Welcome, Parrish, to The Ethical Evolution. Oh, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Now, uh, for those people who don't know who you are and what you do, can you go ahead and tell us? Well, I guess probably the reason I'm here is because I'm a, a civil rights attorney in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And for the past five years, I've been uh, filing quite a few prison uh, medical neglect cases that arise to the level of civil rights violations. And um, since that time, since the first one we filed in I believe February of 2018, we filed 60 more. We have quite a few more we're going to file, but, and it's all in New Mexico. And so, and it started, I just briefly, I can tell you how I got into this. Uh, Jeff Sessions, you're, you're in Australia, so I don't know if you know who Jeff Sessions is, but he was appointed the U.S. attorney, the attorney general, and he wasn't particularly friendly to civil rights. And so I thought, I should probably do a little bit of civil rights work. And I saw 
you know, prison medical issues is somewhere where I could make a contribution. But I had no idea what I was going to find. You know, I, I, I expected maybe I'd follow, you know, one, two, three. I, I had no idea it would turn into 60. And, um, and we planned to, my plan is to follow a lot more, but, you know, start following them around the country as well. And the reason being is it's a small group of corporate, you know, very large corporations that provide private prison, you know, they provide private services for the provision of medical services and prisons and jails all around the country. And it's a small handful. And, and if you just, even just kind of a cursory view of the news, you can see that the medical, well, like there, there simply is not really medical care in prisons and jails. And, and that's a huge problem. And I tell people, because when I first went into it, you know, I had perceptions or ideals about uh, what prison was like. And, and, you know, and like a lot of people, I, I didn't really know any, a whole lot of, well, I didn't know any prisoners, frankly. And uh, so I had kind of a, you know, ideal of what they would be like. It's been nothing like that, but, and then you got, you, you see shows and you read when you're growing up, kind of the thing you fear most about prison is the inmates and, you know, maybe the guards, you know, depending on what shows you're watching. But I can tell you based upon what I found or what we found is, uh, the most dangerous part of prison is the medical care and the food. And, and that's what I'm trying to change. That's incredible. And, uh, you know, things are vastly different here in Australia, and I bet they're different in, in different parts of the US as well. Um, but um, there's people dying because they're not getting adequate care or people are just not listening when they need help, right? Absolutely. So and can you give us one, some examples of that? Well, we have one case now that's getting, you know, quite a bit of attention. Um, well, we, I mean, one case is worse than the last. You think you've seen it all, and then you get another case, and it, I mean, you can't help but think, you know, oh, my God, you know, I can't believe this happened. And I will tell you, it's kind of, int- well, it's not interesting. It's sad. You know, I had some young legal assistants that were planning on going to law school, and, you know, so they had gotten out of college and were working with, with us because they wanted to be civil rights attorneys and two of them left recently because of the secondary trauma, mm. just from what, what they're seeing because of the horror stories. And one of the ones I followed recently is, is interesting on a number of fronts, but just the level of callousness of both the, the officers as well as the medical providers. And she was a, you know, 40, something, you know, early 40s woman she was uh she had drug issues and which most you know a lot of the inmates and prisoners do have drug issues and mental health issues and she went in for trace amounts of opiates her her case actually got dismissed the day before she died but they put her in the detox pod and and during the night there are witnesses saying that for basically 24 hours leading up to her death She's, she's having seizures. She can't walk. She can't get to the water fountain. You know, one of the biggest dangers of detox is dehydration. And she can't get to the water fountain. They're, you know, and they're not providing her water and they're not really 
you know, encouraging the inmates to help her either. And, you know, I can get to that later, but basically the, it's interesting. There were two highly decorated combat medics that fought in Fallujah, that were in Fallujah, you know, which was some of the worst fighting mm. in the, the Iraq war. And uh, they were there. One of them shouldn't have been in detox. The other one, pro- you know, probably needed to be in detox, but the other one was a, well, I can't go into it because it's health issues, but she should have never been in detox. But the way they, they pod, which is like a giant, uh, square room. And then on the, you know, two of the walls, they're upstairs, downstairs cells. And then there's a big common area. You know, it looks like a gymnasium a little bit. And then all the, what they do is lay down mats on the floor, you know, in, in rows and columns, basically. And so the, all the women around her, there were eight women around her mat, two of which were combat medics. And uh, they they all know she's dying and mm. they're begging for help. You know, by the end, the, according to witnesses, the whole pod, all the women in the pod are yelling, call medical, call medical. And uh, the uh, guard wouldn't call medical. And by the time the medical did show up, it was too late and and then there were some, according to the witnesses, the, the medical was pretty, pretty bad as well. And, the, and these female inmates reported very consistently. And it's not like I can get them all in a room together to talk to them. When I go talk to them in a jail, you know, I'm talking to them. They may not even be in the same part of the jail. Mm. So, and they all had very consistent stories. And they said that the guards and the medical people, which is, is, uh, pretty shocking when they would start their rounds in the pod they would yell ho check and uh they referred to the women as hoes and you know a lot of you know worse names and um just totally dehumanizing and degrading deliberately cruel and and my client died and uh and then naturally the billion dollar corporation that was providing medical services has now filed bankruptcy (gasps) You know, nation, nationwide, they set up a new company. You know, it's owned by a private equity firm. And uh, they created a new company, and now they're trying to bankrupt out all the lawsuits around the country. One, I have another, and this was very emotional for our staff. Um, this young woman was trying to call us for a while. We were trying to get a call set up with her at the prison for about a week. And uh, we never could get the call set up. And then family and i don't know how they got our name if she had given it to them or or what but they ended up calling us since she died and uh she was uh severely she had severe mental illness she was in a jail a county jail that sent her to the department of corrections for it's called safekeeping to you know to provide mental health services and basically protect her from suicide because she had tried to commit suicide three times the first weekend at that jail. And so naturally they send her to the department of corrections. She doesn't get any mental health services. They put her in a cell by herself. Not only do they, they don't watch or provide medical, you know, mental health services for, they give her, you know, those mesh laundry bags with the cording to, to tighten Mm. them up. They, they gave her two of those. So they basically gave her the instrument of suicide and and she killed herself. 
And so those are just two recent, but you know, every one of them is pretty horrifying. We have a lot of uh, infection cases that, you know, and I mean, this would be a very long conversation if I explain how this, why this happens, but uh, these infections, which are easily treatable with antibiotics and proper diagnostics and, and so forth, what, what happens is they end up getting out of control. They get into our client's spines, their hearts. Mm. You know, one we have that got into his brain. And, uh, you know, others are diabetics and end up with, you know, uh, osteopathic, you know, or osteomyelitis in their extremities and end up having amputations. But, um, and then they end up in the hospital for weeks or months or, or you know, far too many of them have died. So a, a lot of our cases involve you know, infections or suicide cases. And then we have the local jail, you know, we have several detox death cases. And so it's, uh, and when you said it's different around the U.S., maybe it's not, it's bad everywhere. You know, it's uh, anywhere these corporations are operating, it's bad. And unfortunately they're operating in every state, a, a few states like California and Texas, have gone to their university health systems, mm-hmm. but I think the healthcare will improve immensely. The local jail recently, you know, fired the company that's going bankrupt or filed for bankruptcy. And, uh, and now the University of New Mexico hospital is taking over. And I've actually heard from one of those, uh, combat medics that watched my client April die. And I check on her pretty regularly to see how she's doing because she has pretty bad PTSD from mm. the war and, um, and, and drug issues and so forth. I talked to her and, and she, she was really happy because she had finally seen a doctor. And, and I, I've been trying to get her to see a doctor for a while and sent letters and, you know, nothing. And, uh, and I, and she said, Oh, they were really nice. They were young and new. And I said, Oh, well, do you know if they worked at UNM? And they and she said, yeah. She said they're so nice. They've set me up with follow up appointments, and and the the university hasn't even officially t- taken over the contract. The official date is in June, but already the the people that I talked to, the inmates I talked to, you know, this very small sample size of one, but still, uh, you know, I'm encouraged that the mm-hmm. medical care is going to improve. And my goal, hope, my goal is to have uh, UNM or, or at least a, a reputable hospital take over medical care in the Department of Corrections here. Mm. So, I mean, what kind of accountability is there in these situations, Parrish? You know, like you said that that, that particular uh, company has gone bankrupt. Which, which basically means, you know, there's there's no real suit against them. But I mean, does the Department of Corrections have some kind of accountability here as well? Well, in that case, it's with the county. It's the county, Albuquerque's in Bernalillo County, and it's Bernalillo County that hired this contractor. Yeah, and they have, sadly for Bernalillo County and the taxpayers here, if, uh, that bankruptcy is successful and it might not be, you know, it, it should get tossed out. And the, the county really should be in Texas fighting the bankruptcy. I don't, I don't know if they are or not. I haven't seen any indication that they are, but uh, they're responsible for their contractors. So if the corporation 
successfully files bankruptcy, then you know the county's going to have a, a very large problem on their hands. And and we're not the only ones with suits ongoing against this jail. We have five, but there's others that are ongoing too. And it's uh it's going to be an expensive lesson for the county, but. But they knew it. This company had been thrown out of the Department of Corrections in 2016 for some pretty atrocious conduct and uh and 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 the medical neglect in addition to some other pretty outrageous things. And so that was in 2016. And then they bring them back in. They bring them into the county jail in 2019. And and that's just here in New Mexico where they knew this company's record. But the company has does not have a good record nationally. And, uh, it, it, you know, it takes about two minutes to figure that out. And the county and my, and my estimation was grossly negligent or reckless and even entering into a contract with this company. So yeah, the county, it's going to be expensive for the county. Even if they're not successful, it's still expensive for the county because of what, you know, they've had 21 deaths since, uh, April of 2020, I think. That's incredible. At that, at that one jail. And now, so they have a record of, of, uh, abuse of inmates and, and, uh, yeah, the, as they say, the chickens come home to roost and that's, that's what's about to happen. That's incredible. And, you know, Parrish, we're talking basic human rights here. Um, you know, just simple things like water and basic medical treatment. I mean, you've probably seen some atrocious things and heard about some atrocious things that happen in these jails. How do you how do you keep doing it? <laughs> well, fortunately, uh, well, fortunately or unfortunately, <laughs> it's funny. I have never liked being a lawyer. You know, I graduated law school in '89, and I left practicing law several times and I'll never be a lawyer again. And then, uh, anyway, I ended up being a lawyer again, probably for lack of other talents. But, um, and then I started doing this in 2017, right after the inauguration and the appointment of Jeff Sessions. And I love what I'm doing. I wouldn't do anything else. And I think it's, and, and it, it, you stay motivated because you really have, what I consider some pretty, you know, horrendous actors on the other side. So there is no lack of motivation. And I will tell you that very few lawyers will even take a call from an inmate. So, you know, and, and fewer still will take a case and, and, and they're not easy that they take, you know, I think on average from the time they call us or the family calls us, it's probably four years, you know, minimum, you know, sometimes more. We have one now that's probably going to end up, it's gone through the court of appeals, the, the federal court of appeals now. And, and it's already ongoing five years. And, you know, so this round trip from the court of appeals will probably be at least a year, a year and a half. If it goes, if we lose and it's over, if we win, then it goes back to federal court and then, you know, it's probably another year and a half from there. So it'll probably be seven, eight years before that one's over. And so, you know, it's not, well, there's a lot of, you know, legal work that's difficult and takes a long time, but um, I, I don't know. I, I just really like the work. I like the, I like my clients a lot and 
you learn a lot about them. There's a lot of misperceptions about them, but they're usually just people, you know, that made mistakes, a lot of drugs and mental illness. You know, almost all of them have mental illness of one kind or another. You know, a lot of them have learning disabilities that were never taken care of. They weren't treated, they weren't taken care of in school. High rate, over 50% dyslexia, really high illiteracy rate. So it's sad because they're just people. And, uh, you know, I can see my, you know, myself or friends that I grew up with in them and, uh, they, you know, they never had a chance from the beginning, and a lot of them are from families with generational incarceration and po- poverty, and 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 uh, and then uh, guards and and medical people that are actually, you know, want to do the right thing, basically whistleblower types, and so I plan on helping some of them because they're in kind of a, you know, they're in the same boat basically. Mm-hmm. If, if you know, and I tell the I try to tell the lawyers on the other side, if you have a sick, malnourished inmate that's locked in his or her cell 23 hours a day, you know, and and sometimes 24 hours a day, and that's usually the case on the weekends because of lack of staffing, then yeah, you have a, you have some pretty irritated inmates. And, and there's, it's a, you know, there's going to be things that happen because of that. And the same goes with the, the guards, you know, they're underpaid. The, 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 it is so understaffed. It's dangerous for them and for the inmates and for the communities around the prisons. And, uh, so they're scared to death because of the understaffing. They're working 16, regularly 16 hour shifts several times a week. And, uh, they don't get mental health services or anything else. And so it's, you know, it really is a time bomb and, and, and it's interesting because because the guards are, you know, they're just got, you know, people too. You know, they they happen to live in communities that don't have a lot of job opportunities. And maybe the prison that, you know, the in a lot of the communities, the prison is the primary employer. And uh so they take these jobs and they you know, and their their lives are at risk and it doesn't have to be that way. You know, it I mean you know, there are some inmates that are dangerous, but I've only met a few of them. I've only met a few of them where you're thinking, oh, my God, this guy, you know, he needs to stay locked up. Mm. And I would be nervous around him. But most of them, they're just trying to do their time. There's no programming, very little education, no job skills training, no reentry services, you know, getting them ready to get back out. It's basically, you know, and then the case of my clients, you know, they have permanent spine damage, permanent heart damage, missing extremities, and they don't prepare them to get out. Most of the time, they don't even qualify them for Medicaid, which they're legally obligated to do. And it's basically, you know, good luck, you know, see you, you know, see you soon, you know, mm-hmm. come back soon, basically, which is, I think that's the model. You know, you want to keep them coming back because, uh, that's where the money is. And um, anyway, I'm a, you can tell I'm a little bit cynical about the prison system. So <laughs> I can understand why. I can definitely <laughs> understand why. And, and yeah, yeah, you would definitely see in the work that you do that, you know, many inmates are just misunderstood um, and are not being given the opportunity to, to rehabilitate. You know, it's, 
it's just a revolving door for some of them and generationally. Um, I mean, how do we solve this problem, Parish? Like it sounds like funding is a, is a big issue perhaps um, in actually getting, you know, staff in there, getting the right resources in there um, and making sure that, you know, the whole management of the system is actually better better resourced. Right. Well, it's not necessarily the funding. It's the way the funding's used. The the Department of Corrections here, I think it's the third, I'm pretty sure, unless I'm reading the state budget wrong, I think it's the third largest budget in the state for any of the agencies. That's a lot of money. And uh, they, the Department of Corrections, the base contract's about $75 million per year for the medical contractor. The food contractor, you know, gets a, you know, very, you know, large contract as well. The food is, is, it's barely, you know, it's barely edible. It's all, uh, and for, if you're not a diabetic going into prison, if you're mm-hmm. there for any significant amount of time, you're going to be a diabetic coming out. And if you have diabetes while you're in there, then, you know, your life is in jeopardy because they're feeding you pretty much all carbs, three meals a day. And uh, so, but the, so, you know, you got between the food and the medical, you know, that's well over a hundred million a year and they're not doing their jobs. And, and when I, and so that's just here, the one of the contractors that we've sued the most here has a, I, it's 1.3 billion, I think, or 1.4 billion contract in Missouri. Yeah, in Missouri, one point four, you know, one point three or one four point four billion dollar contract there. That's a lot of money, and uh, that could be going to other things mm. like programming, you know, reentry, you know, job training, you know, decent food, uh, all the things necessary to get these people on their feet, rather than heaping harm upon harm, because most of them have grown up in traumatic environments, you know, uh, mo- I think I, I've seen statistics, but most, uh, you know, I think it's well over 50% of the women have been sexually abused, like well over 50% did, while they were young. And, and uh, the men uh, have, have, you know, suffered similar abuse, maybe not sex abuse, but violence and, and all the other things that you can expect. And, and, and some of the neighborhoods and, and some of the families they're in. And uh, so you're taking severely traumatized people and then treating them worse than, than we treat animals. And if, if you treated animals in, in New Mexico, even if you treated your pet the way they're treated, you could very well be facing criminal charges. So, mm. and, uh, and for whatever reason, you know, with prisoners, everyone's, just kind of shrugs their shoulders and and uh, doesn't take much note of it. So one of the things I'm really working on the the kind of the approach I'm taking is what it's costing taxpayers. Mm. And 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 the the contracts are kind of the tip of the iceberg because in New Mexico and I have to assume it's the same everywhere. And uh, the contract actually says if an inmate is sent out for outpatient therapy, diagnostics, you know, uh, dialysis, you know, whatever it happens to be, the, the, the medical contractor pays. Mm-hmm. If that, if that inmate 
goes into the hospital for 24 hours, Medicaid picks up the whole bill. And, and that's a lot of money mm. just on our clients alone, you know, months and months and months of hospitalizations for our clients. And then the, what's never been factored in, and well, no one in New Mexico has ever studied what that's costing Medicaid, but the other end of it is, you know, just our little firm, it's basically just me and some staff, and my wife is my law partner, but she doesn't do this kind of work. So, and then I, I co-counsel with a few little firms around town, but, um, you know, we've had, you know, well, you know, over 40 of these infection cases, and most of these guys are young. And so they get out of prison, they're going to need lifetime medical care because spines and hearts don't get better with age. Mm. I think we all, we all know that. So they're going to have a lifetime of Medicaid. Most of them were in manual labor before they went to prison. But, you know, even if you're a rocket scientist, you know, you go to prison, you're probably a manual laborer when you get out because it's not easy to get a job after being in prison. And you can't do manual labor mm. with a damaged spine or a damaged heart. And so the the taxpayers are are getting hammered every which way. And so that's kind of the approach I'm taking is to try to convey to taxpayers you know, it's not just a human interest story. It's your money. Mm. And, and, uh, and, and people take notes then they're like, Oh, wow. You know, so, uh, and, and you can tell the human interest stories and it'll, you know, ping your heart a little bit and put people forget about it. You know, like they, they see something that's horrible, horrible happening in the prison they're like, Oh, you know, and then they move on. Mm. But if, if it's coming out of their checks, Mm-hmm. You know, they're not going to move on because it's going to come out of their check this week, next week, the following week, and uh, every week because, you know, these guys will live for another 30, 40 years. And this has all been piling up since the private contractors went in and took over medical in the 90s. So this is just accruing over time. And, you know, God knows how many billions it's costing the state of New Mexico. And, and then if you, uh, you know, take that nationwide, it's uh probably a pretty large number and i and i for the life of me i don't know why but no one's no one's studied it and and that's one of my goals is for someone to actually calculate the cost to taxpayers because the contracts are uh, you know like i said the tip of the iceberg Wow, that's that's going to be a massive calculation, Parish, and I and yeah. I, hope, I hope you reach the the right person who has the purse strings to actually do those maths and and make a change because that is incredible. Yeah, when I can't add or subtract, you know that's why I went to law school. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, and one of the things you mentioned there is you know like these prisoners, it's and and the, the atrocities that happen in prison, it's out of sight, out of mind for most people. You know, it's like right. it's not happening to me or anyone I know, so I really don't care. Or, you know, you'll see it on the news in, in passing. It's like we just don't care anymore. But if it was someone from our family, someone we loved, someone we knew, like could we just put ourselves in their shoes for a minute and go, huh, that's a human being. There's, that's really – we need to do something about this. Yeah, and if you met them, you would see them as human beings. You know, they're – you know, they're polite. You know, I had one client that I went to see him and the prisons never tell him I'm coming. 
you know, they said security, but I think it's because they don't bring their legal file to the meeting. Mm. But uh, one of them, I went, he had been in for a little while and he, he, I get to him, he comes, they bring him in and, you know, shackles and whatever. And uh, he sits down and he says, who are you? And I said, I'm Paris Collins. We've been talking. I'm your attorney. And he burst into tears and he said, you're the first person to come visit me in prison. And I'll, uh, but I will tell you, getting to the team, you know, hit, hitting home, like I, uh, two of the witnesses to April's death, the detox death, I'm, you know, one of them I filed a lawsuit last week for what she suffered witnessing that death. Mm. And she's a, she was a nurse. You know, she worked in ORs for 12 years. You know, she's a, She's an amazing person. She should have never been in jail to begin with, but she certainly shouldn't have been in that pod. Another young woman who witnessed it, she went in on a, you know, she had failed to pay a traffic fine and she got arrested on a warrant and then she got, you know, it got dismissed and, and she got out the next day. But she was a young woman. She actually knew my children. They, you know, they, they, they're the same age and, mm. uh, or my older, my sons who are older and then my niece and just a nice kid. And, but she was so upset that she got out and immediately started searching for the family mm-hmm. because she knew that Jill was going to try to cover it up. She was smart enough to know that. And she tracked down the family and then they ended up calling me. But, uh, it's, it's interesting because they would have covered it up. They would have told the family, oh, she died of an overdose or some nonsense. And, and uh, the family might have accepted that. They might have said, well, you know, she had some drug issues. You know, yeah, that's probably what happened. But that's not what happened. And so I filed a lawsuit for the, the nurse. And I'm also going to be filing a lawsuit for her. And the reason I'm saying this is because you're, you're talking about it hitting home. Mm. You know, these are people that shouldn't have been in jail. Exactly. But it could have been, you know, I was talking to some ER docs the other night because I'm trying to get some of them on board from local hospitals that see what's happening with these people coming in. But I was talking to them and they set up. You know, it's really surprising the people that come in DWIs into mm. the hospital. It's a lot of times they're older, you know, 50 plus, 60, 70. They said it's basically grandmas coming in for DWIs those grandmas end up in the detox. And so, you know, say your sweet little grandma had a couple of, you know, glasses of wine, gets arrested, gets thrown in the detox, and then has to watch someone die over 24 hours after being constantly abused and uh, basically humiliated the entire time. That's going to, that's going to stay with grandma for a long time. And, and this young woman, she, uh, she cries. Every time I talk to her, it's, she just, it's, it's, you know, it's going to stick with her for her entire life. And she's 30 years old and she will never forget this. So it does hit home, you know, and, and it could be anyone. It could be someone's kid, just, you know, sibling, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, you know, whoever. It could very easily hit home where someone ends up in this detox situation and, ha- you know, maybe they don't die of detox, but they have to watch someone else die. And that's, that's pretty awful. And, 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 and so, you know, I, I plan to make, you know, 
I plan to make it in this year. And, you know, that's why we followed the scent. Oh, I'm so glad that they've got you, Parish, because it can be so simple that people could end up in that situation unintentionally, you know, like, and that could happen to anyone, like you say, it's just, and, you know, people probably thinking through this entire conversation, yeah, but how did they get into jail? And it's, you know, it's like, it can happen so simply, it, you know, circumstances can just get out of hand and it just can happen so simply, as you've explained. Now, Parish, if people are listening and they want to get in touch with you and find out more about your work and what you do, where can they go? Well, we have a website. It's kind of a, a little bit under construction, but uh, it's been up for a long time. I have all, you know, most of my students, there's probably 10 or 12 that aren't listed there, but they're on, on the website and they can contact me that way. And, uh, you know, one thing I am working on, well, it's kind of more or less, it's it's launched, but it's not quite official. But a nonprofit, basically, to bring more of these lawsuits around the country. So, and and I'll have news about that later. But the website is uh, it's pretty easy. It's just uh, CollinsAttorneys.com, and uh, and then we have a page dedicated to. Well, we have a lot on the prison stuff, and and uh, unfortunately, I'm so busy doing the prison work that I don't really have time to maintain the website or add new content, but I think we have, you know, 45, 50 suits list, you know, there with links to the actual, the lawsuits that were filed. And, and I, I just need to find time to add the others. And that's, um, so you can learn a lot reading the complaints, you know, mm -hmm. like what's going on. Cause you can see in the lawsuit, you know, how these people are treated and it's pretty shocking. Mm. And well, it's, it's I say pretty shocking, and I guess it's uh it's it's more than pre pretty shocking. It's 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 unacceptable. And yeah, so, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I'm gonna keep working on it, do what I can, and hopefully get some more people involved along the way. Which is the kind of the goal of the nonprofit is to provide the foundation and the support so other lawyers around the country can take just one, just one case, you know, and we'll get them through the learning curve. You know, we'll provide support and all the things necessary for them to be successful because it is a huge learning curve. And, and, uh, you know, we've made some mistakes and wasted a lot of time and money along the way, but I think we, you know, and well, and that'll still happen. It's inevitable. You're mm. going to make some mistakes or run, go down the wrong path here and there. But, uh, We've uh we feel like you know we kind of have the map now, and and you know I want to show other lawyers and you know just take one you know take one case mm. and if a lot of, if a lot of lawyers do that, you know we could literally change the system because I feel like you know we're making some headway in New Mexico, and uh you know it's just me and mm. like I said a couple of staff you know if you had a bunch of lawyers around the country. I mean, yeah, you know, they, they start paying attention when they have to start writing checks and, and, and until then, you know, they're going to keep doing what they're doing. Mm. I, I, and I love the concept of, of the nonprofit. Excellent idea. And, and if, as you say, if just these lawyers can join you and just take one case and share that load and also learn from it, 
um, that's exactly how we get that collective change. So I'm, yeah, I'm going to spread the word for you as far as I can. Um, but, oh, cool. but um, yeah, if we can connect you with anyone, please let us know. But um, yeah, we wish you all the best in that and hope that it uh, comes to life uh, much sooner rather than later. Now I've got the last big question for you, Parish, and, I, and I've, I'm pretty sure I know what the answer is going to be. What's the change you'd like to see in the world and how can we bring it to life? Well, um, there are so many changes I'd like to see in the world, less cruelty you know, and, and, uh, and, and so forth, just basic decency. But in, in the context of the prisons, which is kind of where I, I focus because that's somewhere where I can actually make a, a little difference. And uh, just see these, uh, both the guards and the inmates treated humanely. And, and be provided with resources so they can be healthy, happy, you know, and, and, you know, a healthy, happy guard makes a healthy, happy inmate, mm-hmm. a healthy, happy inmate makes a healthy, happy guard. And right now everyone's suffering and, and, and has to stop because, you know, I'm really concerned, you know, New Mexico had one of the worst prison riots in U.S. history, if not the worst, in 1980. Mm. And uh, the conditions now, you know, I'm worried and, uh, you know, there's guards that are worried and and nothing's changed. I read the it's a book called Blood in the Water. I don't know if you read that. It's no. about the 1971 Attica prison riot, which, you know, pretty horrible. It was the worst riot of all time at, at, at that point. I think the New Mexico riot by some is considered worse, but the, you know, the first several chapters were talking about the conditions that existed leading up to the riot. They're all present now mm. in New Mexico and most uh, every other prison system in the U S and, uh, it's, you know, it's just a disaster waiting to happen. And when it happens, you know, people don't, and, and unfortunately people, care about as much uh, care as much about guards as they do inmates they mm. just they're out of sight out of mind like you said but you know they're people and they mm. deserve they deserve to be treated uh with decency and respect and 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 their their lives should not be on the line every day and mm. and they shouldn't be they shouldn't be yeah, I'm just kind of blathering now, but uh, I don't know. I, I'd like to see the lives of the people in the prison systems, wherever, whoever they happen to be within the prison and jail systems around the U.S., you know, treated, treated better, you know, whether, no matter what side of the bars they're on. Mm, yes. Well, you know, if anybody's going to help make that change, it's going to be you, Parish, and um we're behind you 100%. And thank you so much for your time today and being a part of the Ethical Evolution. Well, thanks for having me. This was great. It's nice meeting you and hopefully we'll meet again someday. Thanks for listening to the Ethical Evolution podcast. If you're ready to be the change and would love to work with me on finding your voice through spiritual coaching or creating your own podcast with impact, visit ethicalchangeagency.com.
Hey, it's Tim from 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys, the comedy podcast you had no idea you needed. Join Ben, Jeff, and me as we continue our musical road trip back through the years and around the globe. See, just when you thought all white guys were like Joe Rogan, you come across three educators trying to remember when we were cool. 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast Networks include Ruby for Female Empowerment, The Best Business Network, and GPN for Geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Electric acid. Electric acid.